0: Would sound They've
1: well. living with your dog living with your dog living with your dog with charlotte
2: hi welcome to living with your dog i'm charlotte belt certified dog behavior consultant i'm a huge fan of thicker training and a lot of reasons for that clicker is a little gadget that makes a click click sound. Uh, For those of you who may have had popcorn in days of old, in the box, it came with a a little cricket top thing. And that's what this clicker is. And there are many reasons why I think it's um, uh, an extremely important and valuable training uh, trick. It's not a trick, but a training aid. And that is that We can say, good dog, good dog, good dog, you did a great job. And it's distracting to a dog. What the click does after you've charged it, and what charging means is you make the click sound and you give a dog a treat. You make the click sound and you give a dog a treat until the clicker sound has value. And then we begin to pair it with behavior. One could start off with the dog's name. And a lot of dogs really don't know they have a name mm-hmm. so that you say the dog's name and do nothing else. You just say Buster and you give a treat. Buster, you give a click and treat. Buster, click, treat. Buster, click, treat. And then you wait for Buster to turn his head away and you say Buster. And if he looks at you, you click for the behavior. Now we've charged the clicker so that it has value. And now we're pairing it with behavior. It's got no emotional tags. It's got no bondage, no baggage. It's nothing. It begins to be an association that tells the dog that whatever she was doing when she heard that, she's going to get a nice treat, reinforcement, a salary for a job well done. A lot of people oppose the clicker, and yes, it's there's some mechanical skill involved. And I always tell people that I think you really need to pair it with the word yes so that if you are finding that you have something going on that's wonderful and you don't remember where you put the clicker, Mm -hmm. yes. One of the reasons I like yes is generally it is accompanied by a smile. It's not a lot of words. It's very simple. And you can charge yes. You can say, yes, give a treat. Yes, give a treat. Yes, give a treat. Mm -hmm. So the word has value. So I think it's a a very important uh, aid in training, because again, no baggage. There's nothing bad associated with it, and there have been some some interesting studies where the sound actually goes to the amygdala, where it has it takes a, a, a real trip through the uh, boy the dog's brain. So there's a science involved, and I'm I'm big on favoring science oriented training methods as compared to this is the way we've always done this, so we're going to keep doing it that way, even <laughs> if it doesn't work well. So. And this is this was 15 tips for getting started with the clicker, written quite some time ago by um, Dr. Karen, by Karen Pryor. Karen is internationally acclaimed. Uh, she's kind of like the mother of clicker training, and she ha- she promotes positive reinforcement training a great deal. So here's what she has to say: Clicker training is a terrific science-based way to communicate with your pet. It's easier to learn than standard command-based training. You can click or train any kind of animal of any age. Puppies love it, old dogs learn new tricks. You can mm. click or train cats, birds, and other pets as well. And here are some of the simple tips to get you started. Actually, she doesn't mention you can click or train people. But <laughs> I thought I found it funny many years ago when I was introducing this and the uh, there was a, a gymnast an ex gymnast in the, the training group that I had. And he was, he was just shaking his head up and down about you know, the positive parts of it as compared to what he was getting when he was at training uh, being taught yeah. that you're hollered at, you should, I told you how many times you, when you get up to the top, you have to point your toes. Mm-hmm. Whereas when it's a click at the right time, it makes a mark in your brain, and you're not thinking, I'll, I'll get it wrong, I'll get it wrong. It's, I'm going to get it right, I'm going to get it right. Hmm. But parents were saying, I don't want my kids clicker trained. <laughs> I'm just not, not a dog. <laughs> so we called it TAG, teaching with acoustical guidance. <laughs>
1: oh, my goodness. <laughs> just change the name, and we're all right. There
2: were, and we were all, all set to go. Okay, she says, <laughs> now, one, push and release the springy end of the clicker, making a two-toned click, and then treat. Keep the treat small. Use a delicious treat at first. For a dog or cat, little cubes of roast chicken, not a lump of kibble. Two, click during the desired behavior, not after it is completed. The timing of the click is crucial. Don't be dismayed if your pet stops the behavior when it hears the click. The click ends the behavior. Give the treat after that. The timing of the treat is, is is not important it is important to give them the timing right so you have to be careful because they will stop what they're doing and as you get better at it you're going to click just as it's finishing so for example if you're clicker training your your pup to um, urinate in a special spot in the garden you don't click just as they start because they'll stop to come over for the tree you wait just as they're lifting up and you, they associate having completed the job with that location, and, and they make that connection. Okay. So number three, she says, when, you're, when your dog or other pet does something you like, that's when you click. Begin with something easy that's the pet is likely to do on its own. Such as, you know, we've talked before, we don't teach dogs to sit. It comes ready-made. So sit, come towards you, touch your hand with its nose, lift a foot. Put- touch and follow a target object, such as a pencil or a spoon. Those are things that you can have your dog do and turn them into valuable cues for, to get those behaviors. Four, click once in and out. If you want to express special enthusiasm, c- increase the number of treats, not the number of clicks. Hmm. Five, keep practice sessions short. Much more is learned in three sessions of five minutes each and in an hour of boring repetition. You can get dramatic results and teach your pet many new things by timing a few clicks a day here and there in your normal routine. Six, fix bad behavior by clicking a good behavior. Click the puppy for relieving himself in the proper spot. Click for paws on the ground, not on the visitors. Instead of scolding for making noise, click for silence. Cure leash pulling by clicking and treating those moments when the leash happens to go slack. Seven, click for voluntary or accidental movements towards your goal. And that would be called shaping in some cases. Hmm. You may coax or lure the animal into a movement or position, but don't push, pull, or hold it. Let the animal discover how to do the behavior on its own. If you need a leash for safety's sake, loop, loop it over your shoulder or tie it to your belt. Eight, don't wait for the whole picture or the perfect picture. Click and treat for small movements in the right direction. Again, that's shaping. You want your dog to sit and it starts to crouch and back? Click. You want it to come when called and it takes a few steps your way? Click. Nine, keep raising your goal. Coming towards you or sitting repeatedly, start asking for more. Wait a few beats until the dog stays down a little longer, comes a little further, sits a little faster. Then click. This is called shaping a behavior. 10. When your animal has learned to do something for clicks, it will begin showing you the behavior spontaneously, Mm -hmm. trying to get you to click. Mm -hmm. Now is the time to begin offering a cue, such as a word or hand signal. Start clicking for that behavior as it happens during or after the cue. As a word, uh, start clicking for the behavior if it happens or after the cue. Start ignoring that behavior when the cue wasn't given. And that'll get dogs a little bit frustrated, but That's Mm. a little bit, that's okay. Uh, Just don't take it too far. They get too frustrated to go back to what they were able to handle. 11, don't order the animal around. Clicker training is not command-based. If your pet does not respond to a cue, it is not disobeying. It just hasn't learned the cue completely. Find more ways to cue it and click it for the desired behavior. Try working in a quieter, less distracting place for a while. If you have more than one pet, separate them for training and let them take turns. 12. Carry a clicker and catch cute behaviors like cocking the head, chasing the tail, or holding up one foot. You can click for many different behaviors whenever you happen to notice them without confusing your pet. 13. If you get mad, put the clicker away. Don't mix scoldings, leash jerking, and correction training with clicker training. You will lose the animal's confidence in the clicker and perhaps in you. 14. If you are not making progress with a particular behavior, you're probably clicking too late. Accurate timing is important. Get someone else to watch you and perhaps to click for you a few times. 15. Above all, have fun. Clicker training is a wonderful way to enrich your relationship with any learner. And it talks about Karen Fryer is the founder and CEO of Karen Fryer Clicker Training and Karen Fryer Academy. She's the author of many books, including the classic Don't Shoot the Dog and Reaching the Animal Mind. And you can learn more about her online.
1: So awesome. Yeah, very okay. good. So one of the things that I noticed is and you have talked about this before, but you I don't think you've ever put it in these exact steps as as to when to in, introducing the cue. And this is step 10. Yes.
2: And that, see, this is the the old way was we push on a dog's butt and yank up on the choke chain and say, sit. Right. Now we get the behavior and then put a cue with it, not a command, a cue. We're giving it, we're exchanging information, but we want the behavior before we put any word to it. Hmm. So we want the dogs to be able to problem solve. So, okay, they put their butt down, they get a click, and they get a treat. They put the butt down, they get a click, and they get a treat. Pretty soon, the dog was wondering, how does that work? Let me see. And how can I train her to give me treats more often? So they will be problem-solving. And I think it's true with people. If you've got half a dozen people sitting in the room, and the, the professor comes up with a question, and you raise your hand, with an answer, but somebody gets there first. I "I wish I'd gotten there first. I would have have been able to say the answer correctly. (laughs) So when we figure it out, it's more important to us and it stays with us better than if we're told to do something and we just simply respond to avoid punishment or pain or discomfort um, or a bad look. And I think we've all had mothers at one time or another. They just looked at us and we knew, oh dear, Ooh, <laughs> whoops, whoops. <laughs> That's not the best way to train.
1: So I can see that, and and tell me if this is uh, true in your experiences of training trainers or training people to train their dogs. Is that seems like that would be one of the hardest parts in training? Is getting the behavior first, before you put the cue to it. I, like you said, back in the day and it, and it's still prevalent, you know, I want my dog to do something. I'm going to tell it to do something rather than um, it sounds bad, but spending all that time inducing the the behavior before I put the cue to it. I see that as being one difficult thing or things that we forget as dog owners to do in training.
2: Well, what we've we're seeing is, this is called crossover training. Mm. The people who learn punishment-based, correction-based training and decided that they really preferred when they learned about scientifically-based uh, positive reinforcement training were called, were called crossovers. It's difficult to do that, that you have to give up what you were doing, that you were convinced was the right thing to do or you wouldn't have been doing it. And that's the way all the training was, you know, some 30 years ago. And Pat Miller, the famous Pat Miller said that when she started requesting responses from training groups, groups of trainers of how many are crossovers and almost all the hands went up and now not, she doesn't see that anymore. So people are, are learning from the get go to use positive reinforcement training rather than making a switch from one to the other. So it's, it is a process. And and there are still people that that are are true and they they just won't let go. They won't let go. And I don't care whether it's there are people who still believe nobody walked on the moon and (laughs) that there's no COVID (laughs) illness and the earth is flat. The earth is flat. I mean, we still have people doing that. So it's not so surprising that there would be trainers that are convinced that they have to punish a dog for them to really learn what's right. And punishment is not required. It is not required. You don't have to punish dogs to teach them that that's the wrong way to do it. We teach them what is the right way and the wrong way gets no reinforcement. And I think one of the the very best examples of that idea is i read some time ago and I, i'm pretty sure i've mentioned it on the program that the guide dogs for the blind trainers of the dogs used punishment-based training after all lives were at stake right after have to have priorities and i think it was an increase in placeable dogs that went as high as 70 plus percent when they switched to positive reinforcement training wow that's that's a very impressive amount. And that's a huge financial picture. It's very yeah. expensive to breed and raise these dogs for the job of, t- of taking care of blind people only to have them wash out for whatever reason. The punishment was too strong for them, that they became afraid, they rejected whatever happened. It was true that there was a huge increase in the successful uh, placement of dogs when they got positive reinforcement training. Yeah. And the lives were still at stake.
1: Yeah. So yeah. So we need to train ourselves as well as training our dogs.
2: Absolutely. <coughs> and, and in fact, one of the things, because there's a mechanical element here, one of the things that happens in, with some trainers groups is a trainer will have the trainers interact with one another, although one is the dog and one is the person mm-hmm. seeing how quickly they can do the click and the treat thing. And it's, it's very interesting that they get to experience it and work on the mechanical end of it so that they're better timed. And it doesn't take very long. If you if your dog has just parked its butt and you click just as the dog is rising up, I mean, has it already gotten up? The dog is reinforced for getting up from the sit, not for for doing the sit. And you can have it go even further than that if you're really delayed. The dog may get up and look over to the left and see the bird out the window and shuffle its feet. And it thinks all of those things were getting the click. So the timing is very important. And it really does require some effort on your part to have it properly associated in the dog's brain.
1: Okay, yeah. and on that note, you also were talking about, and you've talked about before, is one of my favorite Charlotte quotes, Quick, click and give a treat, click and give it. Oh no, yes and give a treat, yes and give a treat, yes and give a treat. So you had mentioned you like using the word yes and the clicker. Now, in, in terms of timing, because you we just heard that timing is extremely important when using the clicker. Now, when I'm going to introduce yes, do I click and then say yes, or do I click while I'm saying yes? Yes would be the marker, just like
2: the clicker is. So it wouldn't be along with the clicker. It would be if you left your clicker across the room and you just saw something wonderful happen. So the yes becomes the click.
1: Okay. Don't use them both at the same time. No. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's one or the other. Okay. Right. That, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and I would assume we start with the clicker and then we can move on to the Yes.
2: It, it doesn't matter you could probably be training both at the same time but as you charge the clicker making an association in the dog's brain that the sound of the click means something happens good you can do the same thing with yes oh wow,
1: that makes sense you said that right at the beginning you give value to the the you give the value to the to the confirmation of the behavior yes or the yeah. the tool that yeah. you're using to confirm yeah. Yeah. so
2: whatever whatever you're using now one of the reasons i like yes As I want to keep it simple, I don't want people jumping up and down and screaming, You just did something wonderful, and I love (laughs) you. That's just not the way it works well. Mm -hmm. And I guess, again, people are inclined to say it one way and and have a smile with it because we think of it as a positive thing, as compared to good dog, because you can say good dog in a number of ways. Mm -hmm. And the dog is influenced by the sound, not the words. So if you've lost your passion and so you say, I finally got a good dog. Thank you very much. Um, it's not the same as good dog. Yippee. We're going to have to go block party. <laughs> so you keep it simple that it makes it easier for the dog and that dog's brain to put it to good use. Okay.
1: Okay. And along those lines, you had mentioned, and I wasn't sure if this was you saying it or Karen Pryor saying it, is that... Uh, Dogs knowing their names, do dog, Do we know that dogs know their names or have we put a value to that word by them getting attention every time we say that name or their that yes. word?
2: Yes, that's, that's the way it works. Um, do dogs know they have a name? I don't know that we can prove that they know that they have a name. They make an association with a word that gives attention to them. Mm-hmm. and they welcome attention that's what they how they interact with us they want attention from us and so when we're talking in terms of the name we want to be able to get our dog's attention there's no point in telling your dog to sit when he's busy watching the swirl out the window uh well he knows what it means right well maybe <laughs> you know what it means but his attention is, on, is not on you and anything you say. It's on the squirrel outside the window. And it's important to get the dog to look at you when you say the dog's name. And it should always be used positively.
1: Hmm.
2: If you're in a bad mood, don't start calling the dog over to you to get something done that you should have done a long time ago when you were not in a bad mood. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
1: Okay. Wow. Good information. Okay. Apple
2: cider vinegar, a cure-all? This is something I wrote. Anytime I read or hear about something that is supposed to be a cure-all, my mind conjures up visions of Uncle Tom's snake oil being sold from the back of a horse-drawn wagon in a B-Western. But while APC, apple cider vinegar, is certainly not a cure-all, it is worth having in the cabinet both medicine and kitchen. Apples contain potassium, phosphorus, sodium, magnesium, calcium, sulfur, iron, fluorine, silicon plus, and many trace minerals. When made into cider, the concentration of minerals is higher and the benefits increase. Taken internally, it helps to maintain the acid alkaline balance of the digestive tract. To determine what your dog's pH balance is, buy pH strips at the the pharmacy and first thing in the morning, test the dog's urine. If the reading is between 6.2 and 6.5, life is good. If that reading is 7.5 or higher, the the diet is too alkaline and the ACV can reestablish a correct balance. Many external parasites will not take up house on or in a dog with an adequate acidic base to its system. For treatment of a minor flea problem, bathe with a shampoo that really gives a thick lather Rinse thoroughly and sponge on a CV diluted with equal amounts of warm water. Allow the dog to drip dry. You may even find it useful to spray your dog with a bit of diluted apple cider vinegar before walking in an area where you may encounter fleas. Be advised, however, that in any heavily infested house, kennel, garden, or other area, these measures are not going to be enough to keep your dog flea free. And if your dog has fad flea allergy dermatitis, even one flea bite can cause great discomfort that can be long lasting. Such situations require a product such as Frontline front or some of these other uh, attitudes all of which have their downside. But when I considered and I personally considered for a long time that Frontline was uh, less toxic than some of the others, but you need to investigate things currently. And so, so good old fashioned flea combs are the safest way to remove fleas from the dog and any dog with a compromised immune system should not be exposed to pesticides. And that's precisely what frontline along with us other flea killers is. Uh, when you're talking in terms of a flea comb, if you've got a dog with long hair, that's a real pain folks. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's not going to work very well. Okay. For cl- clear, watery discharge from the eyes, one teaspoon a day for a 50 pound dog may do the job. Most dogs seem to like the flavor, but if your dog objects, begin with just a couple of drops in the food and increase slowly to the proper amount. There seems to be good reason to believe that it can prevent bladder and kidney stones. That may be related to the pH factor mentioned above. Following weekly grooming sessions, a few drops in the ears after clean them help avoid ear infections. Itchy skin, the beginning of a hot spot, smelly ears, or excessive licking of the feet may be sent packing with an application of ACV. If the skin is actually broken, dilute the the apple cider vinegar with an equal amount of water and spray onto the area or it's going to sting. Moving along into the cure-all aspect of ACV, it can be used to prevent muscle weakness, cramps, calluses on hocks and elbows, pimples on skin surfaces, some sore joints, and hey, who knows where it ends. Mm. Always check with your vet if you do not see a prompt positive response to treatment of any health problems. And keep in mind that some of the things mentioned in this article may well get relief from a topical treatment of ACV, but the cause of the problem needs to be addressed. For example, itchy skin, foot foot licking, and goopy ears are probably related to the food you feed, folks. Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm.
2: One good thing about ACV is that it won't hurt your dog, and it clearly may be a great way to avoid some expensive vet visits the use of harsh chemicals and overuse of antibiotics organic acv is supposed to be the very best version may not be easy to find but i think in all of your local supermarkets it'll be there for you so apple cider vinegar by charlotte felt <laughs>
1: and so it does kind of sound like not necessarily a cure-all but a help for all
2: yeah, it's definitely something to have, and I always uh, put it into the vegetable fruit mixture that I make, put together for my dog. I always use organic apple cider vinegar, and I put it in there. Yeah.
1: Okay. All right. Okay. To get your questions to us, just email livingwithyourdog at gmail That's livingwithyourdog at gmail And also, you can find Living with Your Dog on Facebook.
2: Okay. How about how we confuse our dogs? Uh-huh. uh-huh. Very easy. We do it all the time. Yes. Okay. All right. Um, so often in training, when a dog doesn't perform the desired behavior in response to the given cue, we blame the dog. <laughs> I often hear he's blowing me off or she's mm. being stubborn. You know, and dogs are not stubborn. Yeah. They just don't come built that way. In reality... The handler just didn't make it clear enough for the dog to fully understand what the person was trying to teach. And here are ways we confuse our dogs. Don't expect your dog to automatically know our language. Dogs don't come with an English software package installed. (laughs) We must patiently teach them our language one cue at a time. Not taking the time to define the cue's goal behavior, have in mind the specific definition of what you expect. I suggest you create a cue dictionary, write down every cue you currently use, then define the goal behavior for each cue. Do you want a straight sit with square hips or a side saddle sit, a speedy down or slow down? Defining your cues and the goal behavior for each in writing will help you be clear in your own mind about what you expect, and that will make it more clear for your dog. Avoid adding cues too early. And this goes back to what we were talking about before. You get the yeah. behavior and you put a cue with it. It's important to teach your dog the behavior and make sure she can perform it reliably before adding the cue. Don't use two cues simultaneously. For example, a verbal cue and a body cue, hand signal. Dogs are keen observers. They pick up on our body language before they pick up on our words. If you use a verbal cue, but also a body movement with it, such as the word sit, and then the hand signal for sit, I bet you that if you said the word and didn't use the body movement, the dog probably wouldn't understand what you meant and might not give you the behavior you expect. In fact, I would say probably won't. Okay, for reinforcement, don't fail to reinforce the newly learned behavior enough for it to become fluent. Some dogs catch on very quickly, others more slowly, but they all learn if we're patient and reinforce the desired behavior appropriately. Don't choose cues that look similar or sound similar. Choosing verbal cues such as down and bow for two different behaviors can be confusing for your dog. Instead of bow, I suggest (laughs) ta-da or bravo. There are other reasons a dog doesn't respond to a cue. The dog didn't see or hear the cue. The dog didn't recognize the cue because it's too similar to another cue. The dog was distracted by the environment. Another dog person squirrel. The dog felt unsafe. So repeat after me. Don't blame the dog.
1: Don't blame the dog.
2: Take a look at your training techniques and find a way to tweak the process so you can help your dog be successful. When your dog is successful, she earns reinforcement, and that behavior you worked diligently to install and put on cue works perfectly. The result is clear communication with your favorite furry friend. Happy dog, happy trainer. And I apologize for not having written down the source of that information. Um, it's anonymous.
1: Let's, let's <laughs> All right. By anonymous. By I anonymous. We confuse our dog. Yeah. I can see us. Like I was saying before, you know, we, we mix our cues. We don't know what we're doing ourselves. We've talked Mm -hmm. about this before when you are moving your hand while giving the verbal cue. I mean, stuff like that. We really confuse the heck out of our dogs. Don't we?
2: Absolutely. And people don't understand that the dog focuses on the movement because we're verbal creatures. They are not. And so, we, and I believe that it's wonderful having hand signals, but I also think it's important for verbal signals because we don't always control the conditions. There are times when the dog can't see you for a hand signal
1: mm-hmm.
2: and you need to have a verbal. So we need to think in terms of the conditions under which we're functioning and operating in order to get the dogs to be able to respond appropriately
1: Oh. I really like the suggestion of making a dictionary of your cues. I think, again, going along with training us, I think that go- helps tremendously with knowing and realizing what we are telling and showing our dog.
2: Absolutely, yeah, yeah. We re- we really can confuse confuse them very easily, very easily. <coughs> okay, here's something else that I remember writing a very long time ago. This is. Sugar, salt, and fat. Hmm. Dog food companies work very hard hard to discover what will convince dogs to eat the food, in quotes, they would otherwise reject. Enter sugar, fat, and salt. Obesity in dogs is an ever-increasing issue, and while dogs are generally under-exercise, there's more to the picture. That other element is food that is inappropriate for canines. Dogs definitely have a sweet tooth, and dog food makers put that to work for them. Sugar is a lot cheaper than meat. Mm -hmm. Furthermore, these elements encourage your dog to eat more than it requires, even when it's actually full. Studies with rats indicate they can become addicted to sugar, and when sugar is withdrawn from their diet, they suffer the same symptoms as if crack were removed. There is cause to believe a similar issue involves dogs eating excessive amounts of sugar in their diets. In Dr. Ernie Ward's book, Chowhounds, he says... Modern high fat and sugary foods and treats have hijacked your dog's brain chemistry, creating an addiction to food never seen before. On site, one site I've investigated shows 25 different names for sugar, while another site said there can be many, many times that number. Some common names for it that you would surely find listed on the package of your dog's food include dextrose, fructose, galactose, glucose, lactose, sucrose, corn syrup, and probably the worst, according to Dr. Ernie Ford, high fructose corn syrup, mm. which incidentally is not good for us either. Brains, and it's in everything, not everything, yes. but it's in a lot of stuff. It's in a lot of stuff. Brains are a major source of sugars, and one site says corn can be as high as 90% sugar. Corn is in all cheap dry dog meat, as well as some far from inexpensive, such as Hill Science Diet Recipes corn or dogs. When's the last time you saw a dog foraging in a cornfield? Refined sugar has no nutrients, so the body must take nutrients from its resources to metabolize it. It appears to be quite common knowledge that high fructose corn syrup is a major factor in behavior and intolerant reactions in children and adults. I believe that may well be true of our dogs. Dr. Ward- believes one should not see sugar, fat or salt in the top 10 ingredients. So check out these numbers. Beneful, now we've recently read about uh, lawsuits against Beneful, that, that food makes me crazy. Beneful original dry food, animal fat 5%, ingredient, sugar, 9%. Pedigree, adult, complete nutrition, animal fat 4%. And the list of foods is much too long to continue to increase here. Worse than the dry food is the treats one they purchase. Following is a comparison of the calories in treats and how they would compare to something a person would eat. These figures apply to a 20-pound dog. One Greenies Light Petite 51 compares to one McDonald's Hot Bud Sundae, 330. One Turina Busy Bone Chew Treat, 277, compares to three McDonald's Chocolate Triple Shake, 1740. What? The book has lists of treats and how they apply to ten, forty, sixty, and 80 pound dogs. Pretty interesting. And for the record, dog food companies have fought long and hard to avoid having to list the calories in their foods. Instead, they have a very complicated formula of kilo calories that few, if any, would ever bother to translate. Chow hounds have all the information you need to improve the lives of your dogs. Obesity is expensive. It takes a huge toll on the comfort and good health of your dog. So you both pay for it the dog with reduced active lifestyle and pain, and you with increased vet bills. And cats suffer probably even more than dogs thanks to what pet food companies pass off as food for them.
1: i sure <laughs> So, oh, greenies. Dogs absolutely love those things. And now I know why because they're full of sugar.
2: Yes, and you probably are not going to see the word sugar there, but you're going to see one of these other forms of it. So dogs have a sweet tooth. Cats do not. Cats cannot taste sugar. Hmm. So the pet food companies have to um, come up with other ingredients that will get the cats addicted. One thing that gets the cats addicted is simply that the vet recommends that when your, your, your kitty is being weaned that you start feeding dry cat food. That's all it takes to get cats addicted first thing they know about food is that mm-hmm. and they are much more difficult to switch than a dog it's difficult enough with a dog but it's much more difficult with cats their their understanding of these things is uh, is very different and you have to remember that you have to be very careful with that
1: so let me get back to greenies because i know it's something that my brother gives his dog Mon- monkey uh, quite a bit um mm-hmm how do you feel about that i mean giving treats and sugary treats i assume is okay every once in a while for the dog but on a regular basis and those greeny things those are like you know three inches long four inches long it's 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 quite a, a big treat i wouldn't give it ever okay i,
2: I don't give sugary treats um, my favorite is um, she, the, the big treat that she gets every day is She gets two frozen chicken feet after dinner. And that's, I I, I swear she would jump through hoops of fire to get them. You use those as treats? Well, they're part of her nutrition, but they're also a treat. You know, once in a while I give her an extra one as a treat. But when it comes to treats, I usually use um, cheese. I find cheese, uh, again, in small quantities, tiny pieces of it, you know, half the size of a little fingernail. One can get... um, actual pieces of meat and find out stuff that's on special pork on special very often or chicken and just cook it up enough so so that it's it's no longer raw and cut it up into tiny pieces and stick it in a freezer bag and just take out half a dozen that you need for the, the point of training so use real food in other words real food stop using this garbage that's being sent out there and learn to read the labels read the labels on everything Read the labels on everything that you give them and you get for yourself and learn how these things are disguised. You know, we're talking in terms of there's a, uh, these these people are geniuses at being able to describe, to hide information in, in ways that it's expressed and we trust them. And you can't trust them. You just can't.
1: And part of that is ingredient splitting, right? Which we talked about a few weeks ago.
2: And you cannot, that's again, it's important to understand that the FDA and the AFCO will not allow definitions of ingredients that go into pet food. Not allow. They will not allow definitions. So chicken for humans has a specific definition and they are wisely interpreting that when you see chicken on a dog food bag, you're thinking chicken as it is for human beings. And it is not. Well, chicken for human beings, it's that bird out there in the, the meat department in pieces or in whole. And in dog food, it's probably beaks and toes and nails. And, Ew, and there's, there's no way for you to know. You can call the company, but you may get an answer like proprietary information and then you better buy something else
1: okay but aren't some of the treats that we use and that we have suggested like hot dogs and, and you just said cheese those are salty and fat though absolutely no question about it um,
2: when it comes to the hot dogs we're talking of them as treats as compared to dog food so you'd be using very little of them now when i've used hot dogs in the past yes it's because the dogs will work for them and yeah. i have I have uh, tried turkey, francs because there's less fat. But even then, I've sliced them up thinly and put them on a plate in the microwave to reduce the amount of fat that's in there so that they're drier to start with. But yes, we take advantage of a bit of that, their, their love of, of salt and, and fat for training purposes, but not for their food.
1: Not okay the- s- okay so <laughs> it, i am thinking i got this correct absolutely no treats that are high in sugar but treats with salt and fat are okay
2: they're they're okay it's not that it's necessary but it's just that very often it's what the dogs will work for now when it comes to very tiny dogs i always recommend just chicken breast cooking it up because we want to be very careful about the amount of fat that goes into the life of a chihuahua right. that's It's a whole different game than if you've got a big dog with getting a lot of exercise and can handle some of that. But the smaller the dog, the more cautious one has to be for calories because we don't want them putting on weight. And that's a huge problem with the canine feline and human population today. It's an, it's an enormous issue. So we have to be careful.
1: And, you know, and I, I saw this the other day and I was thinking about this. I saw A little dog, you know, maybe a mid-sized dog, but it was extremely obese Mm -hmm. and it was having trouble getting around. Absolutely. However, it was the happiest little dog. So it's our responsibility to take care of these dogs because they can be fat and happy. Sure.
2: And people can be fat and happy. That doesn't mean they're healthy.
1: Hey, 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 don't look at me that way. Come on now. (laughs)
2: no we have to we have to think in terms of the overall health not just how the dog is behaving you know the fact that the dog is still having problems moving around comfortably it can still be a happy dog but it doesn't understand the source of its pain right so that you know
1: i found that really Disheartening, but also heartening, right? I mean, the dog was unhealthy, but it was still happy, which I thought was cool. But then I looked at the owner and I went, Oh, uh, yeah, you don't know what you're doing.
2: Yeah, we don't want that. You know? The dog is happy, but not happy about the way it feels. So totally. we have to, we have to, you know, it's like children would like a whole bag of chocolates. Okay, so that's what we're going to feed them. I don't <laughs> think so. You know, I really don't think so. I think we have to be more cautious. And think in terms of longevity and quality of life yeah. and comfort and when you're talking in terms of obesity it's not not only affecting all the joints reducing the amount of pleasure that comes from exercise but the heart the lungs the kidneys all have to work harder to take care of the body <laughs> And you're shortening their lives. The study that was done some years ago, the only thing I can ever remember reading that Purina did a good job on, Mm -hmm. they carefully observed various litters of, I think, golden retriever puppies from eight weeks of age on. And one group of the pups had a a 25% reduction in the amount of food that was being given to the other group. And the dogs in the reduced uh, calorie consumption lived almost two years longer and lived two years longer with later onset of any arthritic conditions and pain and discomfort. That's that's pretty, that's pretty, pretty impressive total. Yeah. Yeah. Two years is a long time and it's a long time to be in pain.
1: So. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah.
2: Okay, got time for one more here? We do. Okay. Interpreting tail wags in dogs. Oh, boy. This is by Lynn Buzzhart, Doctor of Veterinary Medicine. What does a wagging tail mean? When your dog wags his tail, is he telling you he's happy? Not necessarily. Canines know many variations of the tail wag, and they all mean different things. In fact, a wag of a tail is one of the best methods of communication in the canine kingdom which incidentally is another reason why I am so dead set against amputating healthy flesh like docking tails. Yeah. That's information that's, that's really important. Okay. Like human infants, dogs must learn their language. Pups aren't born knowing what a wagging tail means any more than a newborn baby understands words. But when a pup is about a month old, He recognizes the need to communicate with his mother and siblings, so he picks up the lingo. The pup wags his tail to tell his littermates he's tired of playing or to tell his mother that he's hungry. Why do dogs wag their tails to communicate? Words are the basis of human communication, so people are good listeners. Dogs, on the other hand, are watchers. Lacking a verbal vocabulary, dogs communicate broader messages with body language by taking a certain stance, moving their ears furrowing their brow, shifting their eyes, or wagging their tails. Incidentally, furrowing their brow, those brachycephalic dogs with their cushioned faces, they can't do that. They oh, have yeah. all, they've got a lot of wrinkles, but they can't put any control to the messages. Oh. Okay, what messages does a wagging tail communicate? Before we learn to speak tail, we must recognize that the neutral or natural position of a dog's tail varies by breed. Most dogs have tails that hang down near their heels when they are relaxed, but some dogs like beagles hold their tails more vertically. Others like greyhounds and whippets curl their tails under their bellies, and still others like pugs and Boston terriers have tails that fall tightly against the body and don't wag at all. Tail physician may indicate, one, preparedness or agitation. When dogs are alert, they stand with their ears up and their tails relaxed. This posture indicates that they are watching and ready to confront whatever caught their attention. Two, negotiation. When a dog suddenly stops wagging his tail and freezes, it may mean that he wants to divert a a threat without being aggressive. Many dogs do this when petted by strangers to communicate that they don't want to interact with them. Hmm. Three, aggression. When a tail moves from a neutral position to a vertical one or arches over the back, it indicates that the dog may be aggressive. The higher the tail, the greater the threat. This high tail position also releases more of the dog's scent from the anal glands, which announces the aggressive dog's arrival and marks his territory. Or submission, when a tail moves from the neutral position to a lower one, the dog is submissive and is not a threat. If If the tail is tucked tightly between the rear legs, the dog is scared. He perceives a threat and is asking not to be harmed. The lower tail position reduces the amount of scent emitted from the anal glands and allows the dog to remain in the background or fly under the radar. Five, curiosity. When a dog is curious about something, she holds her tail straight up in a horizontal position. Six, happiness. When a dog is happy, he holds his tail in a neutral or slightly raised position and adds a healthy wag. The rate at which a tail moves adds further meaning to canine communication. Wagging speed may indicate one, excitement. The faster the wag, the more excited the dog. A tail wag may range from very slow to extremely rapid, known as flagging. Sometimes the tail wags wag so fast it appears to vibrate. To insecurity. A dog that is tentative about meeting a new person or another dog may wag his tail ever so slightly to indicate that he is insecure. Three, friendliness. A dog that is very friendly may wag his tail more freely and even wail his hips at the same time. And four, aggression. When a walk, dog wags his tail very fast while holding it vertically, he may be an active threat. So remember, a person getting get bitten by a dog that is wagging his tail. Canine tail talk is so complex that even the direction of the wagging is significant. Studies show that dogs wag their tails to the right when they are happy or confident, and to the left when they are frightened, and there's a reason for this. The left side of the brain controls movement on the right side of the body and vice versa. So the left brain is engaged when the tail wags to the right and the right brain causes the tail to move to the left. Since the left side of the brain is associated with positive feelings like love and serenity, a happy dog wags his tail to the right. And conversely, the right half of the brain is associated with negative feelings like fear and depression. So a frightened dog wags his tail to the left. And I thought that was really interesting. That can, is tail-less, interesting. Yeah, can tailless dogs communicate? Dogs without tails communicate but have limitations. Tailless dogs approach other dogs or people cautiously to avoid miscommunication. They depend on other aspects of body language, such as ear position, which are often, often cropped, facial expression, which is sacrificed in brachycephalics, and stance to communicate their int- intentions. Tail talk. While dogs don't speak the human language, they still communicate quite effectively, and tail wagging enhances their ability to communicate. Interestingly, dogs don't talk to themselves. They will wag their tails in front of humans or other dogs, but they don't wag when alone. Think about that the next time you mutter to yourself. <laughs> That's from Dr. Buzzhart.
1: <laughs> they don't wag their tail when they're alone.
2: Yeah. How about that?
1: I've Thank never you. noticed that. Well, uh, come on. Yeah, I, I don't think so. Because they're alone and I'm not with them. <laughs> Well, yeah. Of course I'm not going to notice. <laughs> for sure. For sure. You know, it's
2: a, it's a communicative I've also heard that cats don't meow. I mean, you've got the wailing when there's fighting, but they don't meow. It's only with association with people.
1: Yeah. You've said that before, man, this, this, this is amazing. <laughs> I mean, the, the, all of this stuff that you're reading off, you know, when the, this wag of the tail means this and this wag of the tail means that. I, I, I just, I'm writing these down and I'm still having trouble like picturing the differences between these <laughs> different tail wags.
2: Yes, and, and keep in mind the different, breed different breeds of dogs have tails located in different positions. So yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, it's an interesting thing. So there's, there's more to it from the standpoint that the tail wag is not an actual, all by itself. You've got a whole dog that you have to look at, <laughs> and you know it, I, I always say: if you think a, uh, a wagging tail is a friendly dog, you're going to get bitten someday. But there's more to it. We can, you can't, you can't miss a dog that is vibrating all over. The tail is wagging, the butt is wagging, and the dog is saying, "Come and pet me, come and pet me, come and pet me." I love you. <laughs> my new best friend. You can't miss it. But when you see that slow movement, the kind of stance that's leaning backwards instead of forward. Forget about the tail wagging. The dog is trying to tell you something else altogether. The tail wag is part of it, but there's much more to the overall behavior and positioning of the dog that we need to learn better to, to do. And whenever whenever we have our dogs out and people want to pet them and you know your dog is not happy and people say, oh, all dogs love me, just teach, teach your dog to step behind you or teach your dog that you'll step in front of them and prevent the man, the person, the child from greeting the dog personally. (laughs) You can say anything you want at that point. I don't care if you're telling a story that's not true, but don't put your dog in a position where the dog is uncomfortable, let alone fearful. We have to, you know, with Angie, she will growl if I'm on leash and I'm walking her and she sees somebody come close. She doesn't lunge at him. She growls. Like, don't come closer than that. That's mm-hmm. as close as you want to get. But she will bite. She won't bite you looking at you. She'll bite you when you turn away from her. That's, the fear, that's the fear biter syndrome. Right. Oh. So when she was a pup at the kennel, I'm sure that she learned, maybe it took a minute or two when the guys were cleaning the, the cage, that if she growled and barked at them, they left. So she learned a lesson and it took her, it it worked. And the chances are she did nip some of those guys. I was told by the people that got her from Scanson Kennel that she didn't like Mexicans. Well, I think what she didn't like was that there were Mexicans. (laughs) The chances are there were Mexicans that worked there cleaning the kennels. Right. And this was translated to she doesn't like Mexicans. Well, she didn't understand people invading her little space. It was the only thing she knew in life. So, you
1: know. uh, that might tell you a little about a, a little bit about the previous owners.
2: Well, what's interesting is I, I took, I had them take Angie to Dr. Bill Cook, who was the vet that I used when I used to live in Sebastopol. He is a potty veterinary hospital. And she, I didn't want to take on a dog because she had a lot of health problems. I didn't feel like a cord. And he said, they may have had dogs, but they were clueless. <laughs> clueless. That, those are his, his words. They may have had dogs, but they're clueless about dogs.
1: Uh, and and uh, to to be blunt, and honest, a lot of us are. I mean, not to that extent, right. but w- just when it comes to tail talk, oh, oh my yeah. gosh, I, mm-hmm. that could be a years long research in, and and and. I think that would take me at least me a long time to figure out tail talk. Well, some of it we
2: have learned over the years, you know, the tail that's tightly tucked, we're pretty sure the dog is afraid. Right. And, and, you know, looking at the overall picture of the dog, if it's a slow swinging wag, it's not the best greeting in the world. I know it's not the enthusiastic, I can hardly wait for you to pet me kind of wag. And if I just walk down to the mailbox and come back and Angie's got an amputated tail, that that's the breed style, which I would never have approved of, but, she greets me like I've been gone for a month. Uh, so, you know, we have, and she's wiggling. I mean, well, the butt end is wiggle, wiggle, wiggle. I'm so happy to see you. I thought I'd never see you again. It's like, really? <laughs> really? Come on.
1: <laughs> uh, all right. Let's do some review. We started off talking about clicker training. Clicker training is a useful tool when you're training. It is science-based to be proven to work. And this was by Dr. Karen Pryor. And uh, what you, you, you want to do is you want to... Charge the clicker, which means give it value, and then then pair it with the behavior, then give a cue to it. Then we started talking about, oh, and this was from our very own Charlotte Peltz, an article about apple cider vinegar. Is it a cure-all? Well, it might not be a cure-all, but it is definitely a helps-all. And then uh, from Anonymous, an unknown source, how we confuse our dogs. We talk in a different language than our dogs we blame our dogs oftentimes when they don't understand what we're talking about. Of course they don't understand. Do not blame your dog. Do not scold your dog ever. Um, One of the things that I liked from this article was the suggestion of putting your cues in a dictionary, make a dictionary of your cues with definitions so that you know what you're telling your dog and uh, not confusing them. Then again, from our wonderful Charlotte Peltz, an article about sugar, salt, and fat. Uh, In that kibble, it's going to be full of sugar, salt, and fat. Often our treats are full of sugar, salt, and fat. Uh, This can be disguised with many names, such as dextrose, fructose, and, of course, high fructose corn syrup. Dogs don't need sugar. Grains are sugar. And uh, one of these quotes that I liked from Charlotte was, obesity is expensive no doubt and then we learned a little bit about interpreting a wagging tail there are so many meetings i wrote them all down i'm still a little confused about it myself but it is body language and it's your dog telling you something so we need to be more aware of that all right charlotte wow such great information all right before we head out do you have any last words for us
2: Okay. Not to hurt our humble brethren is our first duty to them, but to stop there is not enough. We have a higher mission to be of service to them whenever they require it. St. Francis of Assisi. And that, of course, means we have to learn some understanding.
1: To get your questions to us, just email Living with your dog at gmail.com that's living with your dog at gmail.com and also you can find living with your dog on Facebook <laughs> living with your dog living with your dog living with your dog with Charlotte
0: isn't that cool? Check out all the podcasts brought to you by Redwood Sound Labs. Finally, a podcast that's dedicated to talking about your favorite sports movies. Whether you want to hear a breakdown of the plot, arguments about who's the MVP of the film, or crit and lit about it, you'll find it all on Fields of Glory. Listen to the show that will help you live a better life with your beloved pets. It handles topics like proper food, nutrition, positive reinforcement training, and more. Certified dog behavior consultant Charlotte Peltz welcomes your pet concerns and questions in the podcast Living With Your Dog. Zach and Matt are two horror movie enthusiasts of varying experience discussing horror movies through the scope of content, context, and comedy. They'll hit on the good ones in the classics, but they're really excited for the bad ones. Listen to... Watch No Evil. Charles is a Purple Heart recipient and cinematographer. Aaron is a professor and critical cultural scholar. Together they explore the narrative, effective, and production politics of war cinema on The Real War Project. That's R-E-E-L War Project.